Well, good morning. Uh, so today we're going to be talking uh, talking about God's love. Henry picked this topic for me to share, and uh, more specifically, activating God's love in our daily lives. So before I start, I'll just kind of hit four points that we're going to really talk about uh, as we go. Um, so number one, we're going to start by talking about God's love and, and just going over an understanding of that. Um, then we'll talk about what became from God's love, what, what that did for us. Uh, then we'll begin to talk about making the choice to, to return that love to God and begin relationship. And then we'll end with how do we activate God's love. Uh, so let's go ahead and open in prayer. Father God, I just thank you for this, this day. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, being with me as I prepared this and revealing so many things to me that, that I just didn't even realize that I didn't know before. I thank you. I ask that you bless this time. I ask that you bless these words and, and let these be your words. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, as many of us know, I mean, even down from little kids, I mean, one of the first words that they begin to hear is love. Love is nothing new to any of us. We hear love, we talk about love, uh, love is used daily in, in probably all of our lives in some fashion or another. Um, you know, love is used to describe how we feel about a certain person, place, or a thing most of the time. Some examples of this uh, would be, so-and-so is my best friend, and I just love them. Or another one would be, Hawaii is the best place to go on vacation. I just love going there. Or even one, uh, Lisa might think this one, I love going halibut fishing. It's just the best time. <laughs> These are all very practical ways that we would use or hear the word love. In most circumstances that we interact with the word love is it comes with conditional standards. In the first example, the person that loves their best friend, they love their best friend until their friend starts gossiping and telling lies about them, tearing down their reputation and hurting them. At such point, the love that they had for their friend is probably going to change in some regard. It's going to be a struggle for it not. One might say that that love for that friend is conditional upon them being a good friend back. If I say I love going to Hawaii for vacation, which I do, it's great. But what if the weather patterns change and it rains every single day that I'm there and it's just a terrible time? My love for Hawaii for vacationing is very conditional upon it being sunny and 75 every day. That's why I love going there. If Lisa loves halibut fishing, but suddenly she develops this severe motion sickness and pukes the entire time she's on the water and never catches any fish, it's probably going to change. Her love for fishing is, is conditional upon having a good time. So a lot of the interactions that we have with love, a lot of the ways that we see and use the word love is conditional. There, there is, 
is surrounded by, you know, certain things that we love for a certain amount of time for specific reasons. There's a difference. God loves much differently than this. God's love is unconditional, and I am so thankful that it is. God's love is unchanging. It's absolute. There is no requirements, and there is no limitations. God is not waiting to love a future version of us. He's not loving a potential version of us. What could Josh be if he cleans up his act a little more and works a little harder on on acting out his faith? And, you know, maybe I wish he didn't say that cuss word last week. And there's, you know, he's not loving a future version of us. His love is without requirements. There is no limitations. God's love is, <clears throat> is for everybody. God has complete and absolute love for every person in whatever circumstance we're in. God meets us right where we are. It doesn't matter if we're in the middle of trials and tribulations, if we're going through a tough time, if we're surrounded by bad situations, if we're called up in a, in a life full of sin and addiction, even if we're sitting in a prison cell, if we're laying on our deathbed after a life filled of wicked ways, it does not matter. The love that God has for you is without any requirements and is unchanging based on our circumstances. To look at an example of this, we can look at uh, the story of Saul in Acts 9. Saul had just been approved or Saul did approve the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was a follower of Jesus. Starting in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who had belonged to the way, which is followers of Jesus, whether it be man or woman, he might take them prisoners of Jerusalem. One might say that Saul was living a, a, pretty, a pretty counteractive life to what Jesus would want. He made this, his whole mission was to go out and persecute Christians. Anybody that, that belonged to the way, anybody that was a follower of Jesus, he was after them. That's what he woke up thinking about. That's what he went to bed thinking about. That's what his goal was, was to persecute Christians. Saul was not in a great place by any standards. Saul was seeking out whatever he could do to find and arrest people that served Jesus. Acts 9 continues, verse 3, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He answered, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. Jesus met Saul right where he was. Saul had a horrific past, a horrific history of doing evil, evil things. He just got done sanctioning the stoning of Stephen. 
and was heading to Damascus to continue to persecute further. God met him in the midst of that. He didn't wait for, for Saul to, to find out on his own that he needed to change his ways. He didn't, he didn't have this, this thought that when Saul gets a few years down the road, I'm going to start loving him there. No, he, he loved him right there. He met him in his place and right in the middle of those circumstances. Surely God didn't love what Saul had done. He didn't love Saul's actions or his past, but God most certainly did love Saul. So how do, how do we know this to be true? How do we know God loves us? We see right here in Scripture, if we look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God doesn't love us because we have shown love to God. We even have the ability to love at all. It's because God has first loved us. The most well-known and classic example, the greatest example of God's love for us, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right there in the very first sentence, so God so loved the world. That doesn't say anything about so God so loved the ones that serve him. So God so loved the ones that, that live a great life or, or are helpful or, or do all these great things. There's no distinction in the world. God so loved the world, meaning every person in it, regardless of what we've done. Another example of God's love we can see is in John Chapter 15, verse 13. It says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus laid down his life for each and every one of us. Let's turn to Romans, uh, chapter 5, verse 8. And here we'll see, this is Paul speaking. And Paul says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And just by the way, for anybody that doesn't know, when I say this is Paul speaking, if we had the time, we'd look at the transformation. But this was Paul and Saul were, were the same person. Saul, once he turned from his ways, accepted Christ took the new name as Paul. This is Paul speaking when he says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God loved us so much that he would send his one and only son to die for us. When we had no ability to love God back, when there was no means and we were, had no <clears throat> justification whatsoever, <clears throat> he still loved us at that time. 
He loved each and every one of us. His love, again, is unchanging. It's certainly unearned, and it's unconditional. We don't have to clean ourselves up to become a better version before we start accepting that love that's freely given to us. In John 14, 15, there's a verse, uh, verse 15 says, God says, if you love me, obey me. This is a very powerful verse, but I found that this could also be a, a confusing verse. It's so simple, and it's so short, and it's so to the point, but it can still be very confusing in the fact that this is an easy one to get hung up on. God says, if you love me, obey me. A lot of times, we will see that we will start to, to begin to accept that love of God and we'll realize that we still have this sin in our life, or we still have these addictions in our life, and we're still stirred up by these unholy things that are around us, and we start thinking that we're not living up to that verse. We're start thinking that we're not truly obeying God, and therefore we're not loving God, like the verse says. If you love me, you will obey me. If we start realizing we're not obeying God, we're not loving God, and then we start to think, if I'm not loving God, how could he ever love me? This is a deceiving lie, and it's a major, major trap. If we continue to look at that further, the next thing that happens is when people get into that trap, the natural thing to do is they pull back from God. They distance themselves from God. And we start stepping back from our relationship, and we try to clean ourselves up. We try to remove that sin from our lives. We try to remove those addictions from our lives. We try to clean up all those, those bad and unholy things, and we think if we put some more time in the past that our past won't matter as much. We think if we can get better at serving God, well, then we can start loving God again like he's called us to do. This is Satan deceiving us into thinking that we have to do this, and it separates us from God's love. He gets in there just like a little bit of dirt in a crack, and it, and it just gets further, and the gap gets further and further and further. Start thinking you're not good enough. The ironic thing is, is it's through God's love and forgiveness that we can begin to clean up our lives. If we distance ourselves from that love, we attempt to do it on our own, and it goes nowhere. That journey will continue for years and years and years with no progress. And before you know it, you've wasted your whole life trying to get something that you've already had with no requirements. This is one of Satan's biggest ploys. This can be a great hiccup on both understanding and receiving God's love and also understanding and moving into salvation, which is for a whole other message. But please, please know that we can obey God by his grace and his Holy Spirit. 
and we need to press into God. We need to receive his love and develop that relationship. And as we do that and focus on God, everything else in our lives just corrects itself. Before you know it, you'll look back years and years and years later and wonder, wow, how did I go from, from a life living like Saul to how Paul lives when he was right into the Romans? It's unbelievable. Don't believe the lies. The Holy Spirit can work through us while we're entering into a relationship with God. There is nothing, nothing at all that can separate us from the Father's love. Let's look uh, real quick at Romans 8, verse 35. Again, this is Paul still speaking. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. How fitting for Paul to say that. What a powerful testimony from somebody that's lived that, that went through that, just as we all have. He is fully convinced, and so am I, and so should you be, that there is nothing Nothing that can separate us from the Father's love. Even when things are difficult and we feel far from God, it's not because God has stopped loving us. God will never stop loving us. By ourselves, we will never be able to remove sin from our lives. Only Jesus can remove sin from our lives. We will never be able to walk in perfect obedience to God. Only the Holy Spirit can help us do that. We must first accept God's gift of unconditional love for us and not just recognize it, but truly accept it for its greatness that it is. Receive it and believe it. Believing it that it is truly unconditional of our sin, we can begin to love God back. We can love because he first has loved us, as said in 1 John 4.19. We begin to have a relationship with God. And as we are filled with God's love and we're returning the affection and our love to God, building a relationship, we inherently start obeying God more and more and more. We are loved by God unconditionally. But what's the next step? Just as we mentioned, we were going to look at activating God's love We already have seen that there's nothing we can do to get away from God's love. Even if we don't want God's love, it's still there. He's still giving it. You cannot get away from it. But there's still a sin. And sin cannot separate us from God's love. But it can be in the middle of us having a relationship with God. 
If you look at Isaiah 59, verse 2. It says, but your iniquities have made a separation between and you and God. This would be to anyone that's not saved. God's love is for everyone, saved and unsaved. But there still are iniquities and our sin is getting in the middle of us having a relationship with God. God already loves us just as we are. But he also loves us enough not to let us stay as we are. He loves us and he wants good for us. He wants blessings for us. He wants a relationship with us. God sent Jesus to die for our sins so that this would be possible. Like we read earlier in John 3.16. When you receive God's forgiveness and accept God's gift as your Lord and Savior and enter into salvation, you can begin to build that relationship with God. God does this for each and every one of us. Once we choose salvation, once we choose to begin that relationship with God, now we both know of God's love for us. But God says it goes a step further. Once we enter into salvation, we get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit pours His love into our heart. And there's a big difference there. Before, when we were unsaved, we were convinced in our mind of God's love. And we knew of God's love. But we didn't feel it in our heart like when the Holy Spirit dwells in us. That is a real emotion feeling. You feel loved. You know that you're loved. You believe that you're loved. And now you feel the Father's love. When we become saved, we also receive that great, great gift. That was out of Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And I'll just read that verse real quick. As hope does not put us to shame because God, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If we jump to 1 John chapter 4, <clears throat> Starting in verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who has been born of God and knows God, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as our atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love others. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. So we see here we're getting direction. Once we accept this free gift of unconditional love and we really let that take root and we take hold and we, and we move into that salvation and now we start developing this relationship with God, God asks that we would start to love others as He has loved us. 
And that's what we do with this unending supply of love that's been poured into our hearts. Since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Without love, we have nothing. We see that all throughout Scripture. Paul writes a lot about that. All of these actions that we can do, these great things that we can do, but if we have love, we have nothing. It's meaningless. Also, action without love is of that most importance. To love one another, to love our neighbor, that takes action. If we're loving, love must be demonstrated. It must be acted out and acted upon. God most certainly did. God has demonstrated his love for us by first creating us to fellowship with and again by sending his son to die for us. So what are we doing to act out God's love in our lives? We can just receive God's love and, and let that be it. And I don't want to diminish that, but an example of that is is we might be on one side of the Kenai River and we're over there and we're unsaved. And God loves us over there. He truly loves us. God sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins, to make a way for us to come across the river. He built a bridge and gave us a choice to walk across it. Once we walk across that bridge into salvation, now we can really have that relationship with God. And we can stay there, and I don't want to diminish being there, because all heaven rejoices that you're there. But the, it goes so much further. We see, Henry would know this with all his trips to Anchorage, that road construction in, in the portage area that's been going on forever and ever and ever. The bridge is at the rebuilding. When Pastor Henry's driving from Anchorage back to the Kenai Peninsula, it's like you're leaving, you're crossing the bridge once you cross into salvation. And, and during road construction, we always see those people, the flaggers, holding the signs, go slow, stop. It's like we get to the other side of salvation and we're holding the sign that says, I made it. That's great. All heaven rejoices that you did. That's what, that's what God wants for all humanity. But if you just look down the road, it doesn't stop there at the end of the bridge. You got the whole Kenai Peninsula and all its beauty of, of all the places you can go. It's great that we made it. God wants us to make it, but God also wants more for us as well. He wants us to activate our love. He wants us to share his love through us. And we're called to love our neighbors as God has loved us. Let me just find where I got all lost here one second. Real quickly, just looking back at the example with Saul. Saul 
was met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And this led to a radical change in his heart. Now Saul has, has took the new name as Paul. And when he did that, he didn't just travel back to Jerusalem and, and stop persecuting Christians and just set up shop there at his house and, and just live a nice, quiet life like he could have done. At that point, he could have done it. He was saved. He's going to heaven. He could have crossed that bridge and held that sign saying, I made it. But he didn't do that. He immediately started be preaching in the synagogues. He immediately started serving God. He immediately activated God's love that was in him and began to share it. Not only did Paul cross that bridge and choose to follow Jesus, but he didn't keep this newly realized love of God a secret. He followed God and activated that love with everything that he had. Matthew 22. Let's take a look there, starting in verse 37. I'll start in verse 34. This is a a story of, of Jesus being asked a series of questions. And it says here, and these were people that were trying to, to trick Jesus and, and, and to get him to, to say something that was wrong or, or hypocritical, or, or they were trying to be very deceiving in their questions. And it says, starting in 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, this meaning an expert in the Jewish law, all the laws, all the thou shalt and thou shalt nots. This guy knew them all. He was an expert in the law. He tested Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And they're all, and I can just envision them, they're all just right there, just anxious, twiddling their fingers, just waiting for Jesus to give a, give a bad answer or something that contradicts what he said previously. And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Verse 39, And the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Meaning that this is everything. That love is everything. From the very beginning of our creation, God created us out of love. God sent Jesus to die for us out of love. That's all he desires for us is a a lifetime of fellowship and love. The greatest commandment is love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is to love your your neighbor. So we've realized that God truly does love us even when we were sinners, even choosing to follow Jesus, accepting him as our Savior, we've received the Holy Spirit, and we've been filled with God's love. So the question is now, so now we just tell all our neighbors about it, or or what's next? Let's look at love as an action. And here's an example. If I say that I love hockey, I love the sport of hockey, just love it. But I've never 
been on a hockey team before, if I've never just played for fun, I've actually never skated before, never even put on a pair of skates, I've never held a hockey stick before. I've never done anything remotely associated to hockey, but I declare that I love hockey more than any other sport out there. It doesn't make sense. That's, that's the same as us just telling somebody God loves you. That's great, but if our actions, if, if we don't activate that love and demonstrate that love like God has, it doesn't hold the weight. Love your neighbor as yourself. There are some people, like myself at one time, thought, well, there's an easy way to get out of that, especially being out here in Nikiski. I'll just go out, I'll buy 40 acres, and I ain't got no neighbors, ain't got to love nobody. I ain't nobody to see. <laughs> Check the box. We're not the only ones that think like that. And this has came up before. And that same, that same guy asking Jesus those questions about the greatest commandment also asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? Trying to justify himself out of having to love people. He didn't want to love people. And Jesus tells us exactly who our neighbor is. If we look at Luke in chapter 10, another well-known parable, the Good Samaritan. Where Jesus is asked this question. On one occasion, the same expert stood to test Jesus. And he says, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, said Jesus. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. This is the expert in the law, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave to the innkeeper, and he said, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. Which of these two do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. That means our neighbor is any person God puts in our life. Anybody. It's not somebody that physically lives next to us. It's not somebody that lives in the same zip code 
or even in the same country. Our neighbor is anybody that God puts in our life. We are called to love them as Jesus has loved us. By doing this, this is active love. Before I close, I just want to summarize four points. Number one that we talked about is God's love is unconditional and for everyone. The saved and the unsaved alike. And although the examples in, and all through the examples in scriptures, we know and can believe in God's love. Point number two, God's love is so great that he sent his only son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice for us, providing a bridge into salvation that we can choose to cross and have a relationship with God. Now that we've chosen to cross that bridge and enter into salvation, there is this continual outpouring of God's love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We've seen that in Romans 5, 5. Before salvation, we can know that God loves us. We can know that in our mind, and we can can understand that in our mind and see that God loves us. But not until we come into salvation that we can feel the overflowing amount of God's love in our heart that's dwelling within us. Now that we have God's love living within us, we can activate it by using it as we're called to do. Because regardless of of our action or lack of action after salvation, we've still received the Holy Spirit. And we're still received the pouring in of God's love. But don't we want to take it a step further and do something with it? When I was preparing this, a, a good example came to my mind. Is at work, we got hundreds, several hundreds of commercial accounts, all kinds of vendors, in-state, out-of-state, even out-of-country, where we will get supplies and things we need. And on several occasions, I'll, I'll, you know, we don't use all these accounts frequently, so we'll call to, to get something from one of these vendors, and, and they'll say, oh, your, your account has been deactivated for lack of use. Nothing wrong. There's not a, an outstanding balance due. It's just we haven't ordered nothing in, in four years, so we, we deactivated your account. We're in the system. That's similar to receiving God's love, getting the salvation, crossing the bridge, and just standing there. We've made it. We're in God's system. Our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but we're not being used. We, we've shut down. And I'll ask them, what's it take to reactivate my account? Well, they just tell us you want to reactivate your account. Okay, I want to reactivate my account. (laughs) It's that simple. Whether we just have crossed the bridge or we've been on the other side and we've been deactivated, if we've been stale for, for years, it's as simple as saying, God, energize me. Let's go. It's it's just as easy as telling that vendor I want to activate the account. It's it's that simple. Activate it. We are called to be active. By loving God with our, all our hearts and our minds. And also by loving others just as he has loved us on a daily basis.
this this will begin to bring us into a, a much more in-depth relationship with God. We have to start building that relationship. Communication, fellowship, worship, obedience. One thing that's really cool is when you start building that relationship, it's like having a friend that you've known your whole life. Maybe you grew up next door to this friend and you don't do anything with them. You've never played with a friend as a kid. You never went to school with a friend. You never have had any experiences or traveled or road trips. You've never done nothing. And you hardly ever see them. And you get there when you're 75 years old and you're trying to have conversation with this great friend that you've had for 75 years and you quickly run out of things to talk about. There's not much there. Our same is with the relationship with Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus. We got across that bridge. We're saved, but there's no depth to it that could be there. As soon as we begin to be active and and active in his kingdom, we begin to really learn more about Jesus. The more that we do, the more that he reveals. We get this greater, greater friendship out of that. We can begin to do this with our neighbors, our friends, caring about them, being being active in our love for Jesus. As Jesus' love pours in, we pour it out in the form of, of just caring. As Jesus cares for us, praying for them, as Jesus intercedes for us daily, out of love. Helping them, blessing them with the gifts that we have been blessed with. Sharing the gospel fellowshipping, teaching. It's so encouraging to people. It's very easy to grasp that we know that God will never leave us nor forsake us. God walks with us always. But God is so big and God walks with everybody that God walks with us, but that doesn't mean that we walk with God. He's walking with us through our trials and tribulations and even through our good times. But when there's somebody over here that has lost everything and is hurting and in great despair and ready to give up, God's walking there. Are we going to walk there with him? You know, a lot of times I just feel like in God's humor he's just cheering for us and and daring us and so many times with the kids you get all four of the kids and they're always daring each other to do something a lot of times it's for great fun you know we'll be out on the water trampoline and and the first kid will jump in the lake freezing cold for the first time and having a great time and he's trying to get the other kid to joke to jump to move to do anything and He just says, I dare you. I dare you to jump. God's daring us. He's just saying, I dare you. I dare you to to move. And it because he knows it will be better and more fulfilling than we can ever imagine. To act. Activating love. To close, there's there's one story that, that came to mind that 
I looked and looked for it, couldn't find it. I wish I could remember it better in detail, but years ago I heard this story, and it's a fitting, encouraging story because as we're, we're fired up and we're doing this and we're acting in love and activating God's love and we're going out to, to witness and share and do all these things, with that can come discouragement. And there was this story of this guy that was a believer and he was working in this big office building and his boss was an atheist. And, and this guy had been there for several years and, and he just really felt that he needed to go, in, go into his boss's office this one afternoon and, and just tell him about Jesus and, and, and invite him to church. That's what he was there to do. He was going to invite this guy to church. He just really felt this calling to do that. and was hesitant, didn't want to do it. And he finally said, ah, all right, God, I'm going to do it. So he goes in there, starts talking to his boss about Jesus and you know, it goes on for a little bit and invites him to church, and, and it like that, it turns, and the boss kicks him out of his office. Didn't want to hear no part of it. I'm not going to church. You know, get, get out. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Get out. So that guy left discouraged and confused and, and asking God, you know, where, where are you? You're supposed to show up. You said you would be there. Step out in faith, and you're going to be there. Right, So years goes by, and this guy ends up being a pastor, the one that tried to talk to Jesus about this, talk to this guy about Jesus. He gets, gets to be a pastor, and he's pastoring this church. And this couple walks in and introduces himself, and the pastor shakes his hand and says, hello, and he says, you don't remember me, do you? And the pastor, out of you know, kind of embarrassment, said, oh, maybe I should, but no, I apologize, I don't remember you. He said, I was there that day in the office. The boss had me doing a rebuttal in his office. I was in the back corner laying tile, and I heard everything you said. And it changed my life. I went home, I told my wife, and we started going to church, and we got saved, and we got these kids, and we all follow God, and our life's never been the same, and I'm here to thank you. That guy walked confused for a time and may have been discouraged, but God did show up. Just not maybe how he thought he would, but he will always show up. And with that, I'll close. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your, your great love, your unconditional love that is without any requirements and that is without limitations. We thank you for your salvation and making a way for us to come out of that pit of despair and come into true freedom and truly be redeemed. And God, I just ask that you would just, just stir us up and activate us today. Whether we just crossed that bridge into salvation or we've been there and we've been deactivated for some time, we ask that you just, just activate us, fire us up today. Help us, give us the courage to, to step out and be active in our relationship with you and with others. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.